Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath to all of you. Belleville Church, it's wonderful to see you all. This is my second time in this church. My first time was two days ago. (laughs) I was here with the ministerium of our region, and we met here at this church. I said, what a lovely church, what a lovely location close to the lake. So it's a privilege to be here and to share as the brother was saying during Sabbath school, to share the gospel. That's, that's what it's all about. It's about Jesus, and we want to lift him up, and, and we want to be drawn to him. You know, when I, I tell my church this, I don't want to, when we go into the word, I don't want it to be about information. I want it to be about transformation, amen? You know, we want to leave understanding biblical truth and, and letting it change how we wake up in the morning, change how we live our lives day by day. So what I want to share with you this morning it's something that's very dear to me. I first heard it at a seminary. Uh, this, it's a rediscovery of truth that for me has let me see the church in a whole new light. Dr. Russell Burl was our, our church growth professor, wonderful evangelist and man of God. And he taught something that uh, was so eye-opening, so mind-blowing for me that uh, it's something that I share very regularly with other churches. I shared it when I, when I taught for the um, Ontario School of Evangelism. Um, it's kind of a, an abbreviated form today, but uh, it's, I hope that it, it, it helps you go into the Word and, and see what God's calling is on your life, because it's, it's a wonderful teaching. So let me introduce it by a statement I heard about 30 years ago. A pastor that was very close to me, he was a mentor. He was a pastor of my church when I was in Toronto. And he made this very provocative statement. He said, the places in the world where the gospel is growing the fastest are through churches that do not have a pastor. Whoa. When I heard that, I mean, I wasn't a pastor then, but even then it was a kind of a head scratcher for me. I was like, what? <laughs> is, is, is there something wrong with pastors? Are they bad for churches? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> you know, what I learned at seminary and in my studies over the years has led me to the, a jarring conclusion, and I say it with full confidence. It's my perspective. Most of Christianity does not use a biblical model for church, and I say even our denomination. I'll go into the Word, and you need to look at it for yourself and see what you think. But first, let's look at some statistics that I got from Dr. Russell Burrell's class. And I've updated it for today. Let's see if... uh... All right. The world population stands about 7.6 billion people. Out of that number, about 2.2, sorry, 2.4 billion claim Christianity as their religion. Did you know that out of those 2.4, there's an estimate that as low as 5% actually attend church? So this is a phenomenon of people that just happen to be born in a country that is Christian, and so you're born into it, and so you're automatically a Christian. But uh, they don't actually go to church. Um, I remember Russ, um, Dr. Bakyaki. I don't know if some of you remember Samuel Bakyaki. He, um, he once said this to us. He said, there are people that go to church three times in their lives, just after they're born, when they get married, and when they die. Hatched, matched, and dispatched. That's it. That's their, that's their church experience. So 
we have 5% maybe of, that, of, of Christianity. Of course, we have Islam, 1.8 billion. But look at the third religion. I'm going to say it in, in, in quotes. Secular, non-religious, agnostic, atheist, 1.2 billion. 1.2 billion. To put it into perspective, in the year 1900, it was reported that it was about 2% of the world's population was unbelieving, was atheist or non-religious. Today, that number may be as high as 20%. And the scary thing is, brothers and sisters, that number is growing. There has been a steady decline in Christianity, especially here in North America and in Europe. I'm sure you know that, right? In fact, the largest or the fastest growing religious status in Canada and the United States is the category of no religion. A survey was done in the U.S., this is some time ago, about 2005. It claimed that uh, in, in the United States, at, the time of, at that time, was a population of about 285. About 140 million claimed to belong to some church. That seems pretty good. It's almost half of the population at that time. However, about 60 million of those 140 were just on the membership books, but actually never went to church. That's that hatched, matched, and dispatched phenomenon we were talking about before. So that's 85 million people who call themselves Christian, but actually have no part in Christian community. Another 145 million are hardcore, unchurched people. So bringing that total to about 230 million people total, that's over 80% of the population of the so-called greatest Christian nation on earth are either non-believers or non-practicing. And again, this number is growing. Sobering, isn't it? There's only three countries in the world that have a population greater than the unchurched population in the U.S. That's China, India, and Indonesia. In Canada, are the statistics better or worse? It's worse. In 1945, 60% of Canadians went to church. We were actually more of a church-going nation than the United States was. The latest statistics I was able to find, December 2013, puts that number now at 13%. Statistics are showing there is a growing ignorance of the gospel and the word of God in our society, and it's happening right in our backyard. In fact, there are people that are starting to say that the mission, the greatest mission field is right here. Now, folks, there's going to be some good news coming. Don't worry. But I feel that we as Christians, we need to know the truth and we need to confront it. God knows the truth. And we're not, it doesn't do us any good to pretend that this is not happening in our society. It is. And maybe it'll drive us to our knees because God knows what to do, right? So Christianity is in decline, at least as we know it, in the Western world. The rate of growth in most churches, most Christian religions in North America and Europe is near zero or in decline. In the Adventist church, praise God, we're above zero, but we're, we're not even higher than the rate of growth of the population in North America. The Barna Group, a church research and statistics organization, says that 80% of what we even call church growth is from either transfers 
or what we call biological growth. That's people are born into the church. And yet the Christian church is growing by leaps and bounds outside of North America and Europe. Look at these statistics in our own church. It goes up to 2005. So you see the Africa, Asia, Latin America, 63.8% of the church was in those areas in 1970. North American division, 21.4. European, 8.8. And Australian division, 6.0. And as you go to 2005, you notice that 91.5% of the church now is Africa, Asia, and Latin America, and 7% in North America, 1% in Europe, and 0.5% in Australia. What does this tell us? Well, out of 20 million Seventh-day Adventists in the world today, more than 18 million are outside of Canada and the U.S., Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. These are the countries that we tend to call first world countries. This is being, being called the dechristianization of the West. And this is where we live. And we have to ask why. We have to ask why. Now, folks... I rejoice in what's happening in other parts of the world. I praise God for the spread of the gospel happening in every country. It's wonderful. You may have heard about how China is experiencing one of the greatest spreading of the gospel in history. In fact, China is on par to become the greatest Christian nation on earth. The most Christians in any nation are going to be in China soon. But the stunning truth is that many of these places outside of North America and Europe, places where the church is growing fastest, cannot afford a permanent pastor. In the richest countries in the world where churches can afford a permanent pastor, growth struggles. Dr. Russell Burrell shared this information with us as students. And let me tell you, we as budding students wanting to become budding pastors, wanting to become you know, ministers, we, we were like, wow, this information, what do we do with this? eye-opening. So let's turn to the scriptures for some answers. I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture, so it'll be on the screen. Keep track of it. I always tell people, you know, don't, don't listen to Pastor Frank. Don't listen to Dr. Russell Burrell. Let the scriptures speak. Go to the scriptures and see for yourself whether it's true or not. What the Bible teaches, of course, is that we were created to be in relationship with God. Adam and Eve talked with God face to face. And it wasn't until the rebellion came, the fall came, that the relationship changed from face to face to face to space, right? It changed. And over time, the Bible outlines how we became more and more separated from God. His voice became harder and harder to hear. We sought after Him less and less. Where God originally spoke directly to humanity, now he began to use intermediaries to get through to the people. Initially, when you look at the book of Genesis, who was the initial one that had that special blessing, that special connection with God? It was the firstborn. Later on, it was the possessor of the birthright. But then for the rest of it, once we have Moses and we have the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, who were the, who were the, the inter intermediaries? Who were the ones that represented God to the people for the rest of the Old Testament? It was the priest. It was the priest. That was their role. Let's look at Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6 to illustrate some of this. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice... And keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. 
for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me, here it is, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is taking place at Sinai. This is where God gave the Ten Commandments, right? What was God's original intention? That the entire nation of Israel were to be what? Priests. A holy nation. They were to be the go-between, the mediator, the intercessor between God and the person. When a person asked, what's God like? Then you look at the priest's duties, the temple, the sacrifice, the priest's dress, the ephod, the turban, the robe. In fact, everything about the priest's whole life was supposed to say, this is the story of our God. This is how God saves us. This is what God is like. This innocent lamb dying on behalf of the person who sinned. Now the question is this. If all of Israel were supposed to be the priests, who were they supposed to be priests to? To one another? Say it again. The world. Absolutely. Let's look at it here. Zechariah 8, verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Another scripture. Jeremiah 16, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 42, verse 6, is a well-known scripture, says that Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles, a light for the rest of the world. So God's intention seems very clear. He blessed Abraham and Abraham's seed, Israel, so that they could bless the rest of the world. When it comes to this, the, the telling people about God, the sharing of the good news of God, one of my, my professor uh, said it this way. He said, the governing verb of the Old Testament was come. Come. Come to Israel. Come to the temple. See the sacrifices. See the gospel in seed form in the sanctuary. Come. Come and see God's covenant with Israel. God's laws. God's, the Ten Commandments, all of it showed. They were object lessons to the world of our God, of what God was like. In fact, you may recall that God actually gave specific laws to Israel about foreigners that would come in. He said, you're not going to treat them badly. You're going to treat them right because they're going to be coming in. When they see, when they see the light coming from Israel, they, would, they will come and you want to treat them in a right way if they stayed faithful to their call as priests. But sadly, we know that didn't happen. In Exodus chapter 32, we have this terrible story of a rebellion with Israel and the golden calf. You know that story. Moses comes down from the mountain. He's holding the Ten Commandments. Joshua's meeting him there. And Joshua, as they're walking down the mountain, says, I hear the sound of battle. What did Moses respond? That's not battle you're hearing. That's singing singing praises to a pagan idol. The whole nation is in rebellion again. They are worshiping an idol made out of gold. They just finished coming out of that in Egypt. 
verses 26 to 29, tells us that Moses asked Israel, who is on the Lord's side? Do you remember him saying that? And out of, out of all those people, one tribe, out of the 12, one tribe, the tribe of Levi, which was Moses' tribe, by the way, comes. Moses said, today you, the tribe of Levi, have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. One other verse is Deuteronomy 10, verse 8. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. The Levites were now the priests. But please, folks, please keep it in mind, this was God's plan B. Originally, God's intention was that the entire nation were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now let's go to the New Testament. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, we know the scripture very well. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Powerful verse. In the Old Testament, God wanted Israel to represent him to the world around. As they stayed faithful, people would start coming to Israel and they would see what God was doing there. We saw this actually happening in the time of David and Solomon. Remember Queen Bathsheba coming to, to see what, what all the, the talk was about. But since Jesus, something has changed. We said before, the governing verb of the Old Testament was come, come to Israel. What's the governing verb now in the New Testament for sharing the gospel? Go, go, go. Go into all the world. And, and look at the metaphors Jesus used. Light, salt, yeast, servants going into alleyways and byways, looking for whomever to invite to the banquet. Jesus turns everything upside down and he says, now I'm with you always. To the end of the age, now go. Go. The last sentence that Jesus spoke that was recorded is in Acts 1 verse 8. You shall receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, ever tossed a pebble in a pond, right? You see that the ripple effect moving outward more and more and more. Jesus said, hey, start here, but you don't stop here. We're going to go then to Samaria, then to all Judea, and then, all, and then the rest of the world. Judea, and then Samaria, and then the rest of the world. And of course, here we are today as followers of Jesus. So rather than all ethnic groups coming to Jerusalem, to one place, one temple, now we, he created the church. And the church is to go out like the ripples of a pond. Now, folks... Do we have a temple now? Where's the temple today? Is it in Jerusalem? Where's the temple? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are the temple of God. Folks, there are some fundamental errors that have crept into the church since the New Testament. I don't want to tread on toes, but I'm going to be say it clearly because I ask you to go to the scriptures and see if it's so. 
The Greek word for church is ecclesia. It means a group of people called out by God for a purpose. We are God's people gathered around Jesus. Never, not once in the entire Bible does the church mean a building. It just doesn't. In fact, the Jews had it right. The Jews had their temple. That's where God dwelled in the most holy place. We know that. And everywhere else they met was called a meeting place, which in their language is synagogue. It's the meeting place where we come together. We, we call this building church. We even call the place where we're meeting right now the sanctuary. And I get why we say that. But friends, the Bible is very clear. You are the church. You are God's temple. You are God's temple. When we leave this church today, it's not like God is floating around in this empty space. Where does God go? He goes with His people. He goes with you out into the world. You become mobile temples to bring God to other people. That's the church. Now, folks, I'm not denigrating the purpose and need for a building. We absolutely do need a building. There's nothing wrong with that. But we know that someday, we were talking about the last days that's coming upon us. Someday we may not be able to meet in this building. We may have to meet in a home, under a tree, in a cave. Folks, is that church? Yes, it is church. Absolutely. Church still happens. Whether or not we have a building to meet in. That's God's church. And so we are mobile temples that go out into the world to show people what God is really like. Now, isn't that the job of a, of a priest? Be that intercessor, that go-between? You know, we think about church as being a place where we come to a building for a couple of hours on Sabbath morning. But the real purpose of coming Sabbath morning is for us to meet together, worship God together, hear a teaching from the Word, and be empowered to be His church for the rest of the week. I tell my church, church starts the moment you leave, Sabbath morning, Sabbath afternoon. When the church service is done, you go out those doors, church starts. We're Seventh-day Adventists seven days a week. We represent God to the world. It's not just happening for a couple of hours a week. Do you want to know how to reach secular people? This is the truth. Most people are not going to come into a church building. That's the new generation. They're just not going to do it. So that Jesus says, you have to go out there and show them who Jesus is like. You're his mobile temple. Go into all the world, said Jesus. So how do we represent God to a fallen world when there's no priests, no intermediaries? The Bible says that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. We know that. But he went back up to heaven. And after he went up, up, up to heaven, I heard uh, Brother Amaral, you were saying that it's not angels that have been entrusted to, to, to preach the gospel. How do we get the message out? Who answers the important, that all-important question, what is God like? Who answers that question? Was it the apostles? Was it the elders? Was it the deacons? Not them specifically. They have a function. They have an important function. But never, never does the New Testament ever use the word priest to describe the duties of a church leader. Never. Let's read some texts. Revelation 1 verse 6. He made us kings and priests to God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Revelation 5, 9, and 10, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And what does he do when he redeems us together? You make us to be kings and priests to our God, and we will reign over the earth. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is, is sending this letter to the church, to just members like you and I. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for possession, so that you might speak of the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Wow. What is he calling us into? We individuals, temples of the Holy Spirit, we come together. Peter calls us living stones. People come not to the building. They come to us. They're attracted to you. and They're attracted to Christ among you. Something starts to happen when we come together in Jesus' name. And when you go out into the world and you represent him to others... You become the temple where God dwells. Just as the sacrifice that Jesus would someday be enacted in the sacrifice in the Old Testament, that sacrifice would be enacted in each one of us. Remember this verse? Romans 12, verse 1, I beg you therefore, friends, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. We don't bring people to Jerusalem to a temple. The living sacrifice is happening in you, in me. The only time in the Bible, in the New Testament, that the, the word priest is used, it's never to describe apostles, deacons, elders, teachers, or pastors. It's never, never do, done that in the New Testament. Instead, who are the priests? All of us. It's all of us. God's original desire with, in the Old Testament with the people of Israel never died. God's original desire never died. He doesn't want a class of people, just the Levites, to be his representatives. He wants the whole nation, the whole, all of God's people, to be his representatives, his priests. And now we have this entire nation called the church, which transcends all political boundaries and borders. We are that nation, his church, that shows the world what God is like. We used to talk about the priesthood in the Old Testament when you look at it as the intermediary between God and the person. Now the priesthood, we, the priesthood, are the intermediaries between God and this fallen world. We show people what God is like. And we point to ourselves and say, I was in darkness, and now he has shown me such marvelous grace, and I'm in his marvelous light. You know, people... We often think that we have to try to argue people into the kingdom. It doesn't work. You know, what, you know what people can never gainsay or resist? Your testimony. This is what Jesus has done for me. You can't argue that. that that's your experience. When Jesus went back up to heaven, and the question was asked of how Jesus would be made known to the world, the answer is you. You are God's method. You are God's plan A. And folks, this time there's no backup plan. Right? The servant of God says, 
God's biddings or His enablings. If God has called us to be His priest to the world, He will enable us to do that. You may be asking, how in the world? You don't need a degree. You just need your own experience with Jesus Christ. If He called you, He will help you. There are places in the world where the gospel is growing the fastest. Often it's because they don't have pastors, and without a pastor, the church takes upon itself to be God's priest. It's as simple as that. You may be wondering, and this is a fair question, if that's the case, that people are sharing the gospel and the gospel is growing, and where there's not a, a permanent pastor hovering over a church, then what's the point of a pastor? Do they have a, a function? Do they have a role? It's a good question. Are we good for something? <laughs> yes, God has given us a role. And I want to cover that briefly as well. It is important. The word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen. What does pastor mean? Shepherd. Just means the word shepherd. In all the New Testament, when you have a spiritual reference of shepherd, every reference in the New Testament, who does that who is it talking about? Someone to guide me. Exactly. But when it says the word spiritual, a, a shepherd, it's talking about always Jesus, right? He's always talking about Jesus. There's only one place where it's not talking about Jesus, specifically when it uses the word shepherd or pastor, as we put it. It's in, um, let me find it here. Ephesians 4, verse 11. You may remember this verse. And God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, right? Only place in the Bible that talks about spiritual shepherds, pastors, and it's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about a person who has that role. What, what is their job? What do they do? Why did God give these people to the church? Well, I'm going to show in the King James first, and you'll see that there has been some misunderstandings because of this version, and I'll show you why. King James Version says in verse 12, He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So people see this verse. See, God called apostles, preachers, pastors, teachers, and so on to perfect the saints, to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is actually an issue, and it's not actually correct. The original Greek never had punctuation. We know that. Remember that famous verse, uh, I say unto, unto thee today, you will be with me in paradise, right? People that switch that, put the comma somewhere else, makes it sound like, like Jesus was going up to heaven that day. Of course, he says in, uh, on Sunday morning, he said, I have not yet ascended to the Father. So the, the internal evidence is clear, right? And the, we just finished saying that how God is calling all of us to be priests. So what's the internal evidence of this verse? How does it work? This is, the, this is a, a new version called the no-comma version, NCV. I'm gonna, all, and he gave some, it doesn't have the word as, but we added in English to make sense in the Greek, from the Greek. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see a little bit of a difference now as how, how you read it? In other words, the role of the pastor would be to perfect. What does perfect mean? In the Greek, it means to equip or to train the saints for ministry so that we're all doing ministry together. The text never describes the pastor as the sole performer of ministry, but as a trainer of ministers. 
And most translations have it exactly that way. I'll show you. So analytical literal translation, for the purpose of the equipping of the holy ones for the work of service, for the building up of and edifying of the body of Christ. 1965 Bible in basic English, for the training of the saints as servants in the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. Revised Standard Version, Ellen White used this version when it came out. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So when a pastor, when a pastor does Bible studies, visits, and counsels, and all that stuff, which is fine, but he's actually functioning in the capacity of the laity. He's doing the biblical work of all laity. We're all supposed to do Bible studies. We're all supposed to be visiting one another. We're all supposed to be counseling and teaching one another. The biblical mandate of the pastor's role is, is, is the function to train. And I have to tell you folks, in most churches and in a, even in our own denomination, that's way down at the bottom of the list. I'm sad to say. The greatest focus of pastors traditionally is preaching, administration, visitation, other works of ministry, funerals, weddings, and so on. There it is. That's pastoring. But this is what the Bible teaches, is that the work of ministry is for all God's people together. Dr. Burl said this quote, For clergy to assume the role of primary caregiver is to rob the people of that which God has given to keep them healthy Christians. The result is a weak and sick church. So as we wrap it up, what are the implications of what I believe is this forgotten doctrine, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers? Priests, number one, are 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 the only ones who have direct access to God in the past. But now... God's people, what's the Greek word for for people? Laos. We get the word laity from it. All of God's people have direct access to God. Do you remember when Jesus was sacrificed, what happened in the temple? That very thick, very very strong um, curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, and everyone now has direct access. Come boldly to the throne of grace. That's not just for pastors, that's for everyone. We have direct access to God. We are all priests. And I I will say this too. The pastor's prayers are no more powerful than anyone else's in the church. We have a specific call, a function in the church, but we are all ministers. Number two, every believer has a ministry. You know, what are the clergy often called today? Pastors, what are we called? We're called ministers, as if we are the only ones who do ministry. It's absolutely incorrect. It's become a terrible error and dysfunction in God's church because you are also ministers. Pastors have a role to lead and train the church, absolutely. But so we can all minister together. I want want you to understand your calling and how powerful it is. Number three, all Christians minister in harmony with their spiritual gifts. The, The Holy Spirit has given you gifts so that you can minister and go and be His representatives to the rest of the world. You should never minister from a guilt trip. Minister out of the gifting that the Spirit has called you to do. So let me close with some fascinating statistics again. Some of you may know Dr. Joseph Kidder. Powerful, he has a powerful testimony. He came out of Iraq. He's a Middle East person who came out of Iraq. Christian, persecution, powerful presenter of God's Word. Uh, He was one of the seminary professors at Andrews. And he became convicted of this amazing truth of the priesthood of all believers. 
He kindly shared some amazing data with me that I hope illustrates the point. If I were to ask you, brothers and sisters, um, who are the best evangelists, the best evangelists that you know of? You know, some people might, yes. Wow, wow, you, you, you went right to the, excellent, excellent. Yes, sir. Pardon? AA, wow, yes, sure. You know, that's, you, you guys are already cut to the chase because most people might, might answer, okay, like Mark Finley, um, Doug Batchelor, and they are, they are wonderful presenters of God's word. Chris Holland in our own neck of the woods. But a study was made of how do people come to know Jesus and belong to his church? What percentage of people came to their new relationship with Christ and their church through each category? So special needs, so somebody may come to the church because they had a need for um, a cooking class or stop smoking, um, you know, any kind of special need that the, that the, the church puts on. Bowmanville Church does mops, you know, mothers, what's it called, mothers of preschoolers, I think, something like that. Walk in. Some people walk right in. They just come in off the street. You know, my church, New Life, is downtown Oshawa. We get homeless people. We get people just walking in. That's, that's one p- way people come. Pastors, may have a, people have a connection with the pastor. They come in that way. Visitation, that's not just the pastor, but anybody visiting, visiting and connecting with people through the church. Sabbath school. Did you know that a, a very powerful way of evangelism in many countries is Sabbath school? The people hear the word. They come to study the Bible together, and people have an interest church program there's a it could be a, a specific church program that's going on that they that they're enjoying like our, our church is putting on vbs in the in the uh, summer and evangelistic meetings that's one that we're most familiar with i'm sure so we have these different ways that people come into the ch- church what percentage of people came to the church through these various means and here's the t- statistics dr kidder shared and it's kind of surprising for me Special needs, 1 to 2%, walk in, 2 to 3%, pastor, 5 to 6%, visitation, 1 to 2, Sabbath school, 4 to 5, church program, 3 to 4, and evangelistic meetings, 1%? I, I, said, I said, Dr. Kidder, that doesn't make sense, 1%. I know so many people that came in through evangelistic meetings. He said, well, actually, he said, very, very, a very tiny percentage come into the church just because they receive a, a, a handbill, a flyer. In fact, most of them come in because of something else. If you add up this percentage, it doesn't come up even near 100%. There's still a lot missing. Who is the greatest and best evangelist out there? And of course, the answer is you are. You are. 75 to 90% of people that came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ came because somebody cared enough to journey with them and invite them, either to come to the church, a program, or just journey with them in their lives and, and help them get to know Jesus, friend or a relative. 75 to 90% of people that are knowing Jesus came because of that. It's a sobering statistic. You know, it may have been an evangelistic series that they heard, but it was a friend or a relative that invited them to come. 75 to 90% of people come to a saving relationship with Jesus and become part of his community of faith through a friend or a relative. And yet, where do we put most of our time and energy and money, right? In everything but. 
That's why the church is growing by leaps and bounds in places where there aren't many church leaders around, many pastors that are hovering over the church, because people get to be the ministers. People get to be the ones who represent Christ the most. In places that can't afford a pastor, ministry tends to get left to the most part for the, to the minister. Dr. Russell Burl at Andrews is one of those who have studied this at length, and he shared the, these findings. He said, in churches that are are in decline, only 27% of the members are involved. In churches that are plateaued, about 45% of the, of the members are involved. In churches that are growing, at least 60% of the members are involved. In whatever capacity, the Holy Spirit leads you to get involved. But you're, you're involved. You, brothers and sisters, are God's plan A. God's image in you will help people know Jesus and transform them one by one. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, you remember, those same members that are making all kinds of mess. Do you ever read First and Second Corinthians and all the troubles that are going on in that church? Getting drunk? getting drunk at communion. Can you imagine? They're his ambassadors. God is teaching them. God is using them to tell others about Jesus. They are still Christ's ambassadors. They are his priests. Philemon 1 verse 6, I pray that you might be active in sharing your faith so that you will, be, you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. Active in sharing your faith. Jesus empowered his disciples and then told, him, told them to make disciples. I say this to people all the time. What, is the, what would you say is the job of, a, of an apple tree? What's the job of an apple tree? What's its function? And, yeah, most people, most people say it's to grow apples. And, and, and that's partially true. It's good and important that it produces apples. But that's not the ultimate goal of an apple tree. The ultimate goal of an apple tree is to produce another apple tree. Right? We are to produce good fruit, yes. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. You're a disciple of Christ. Make other disciples of Christ through the power of the indwelling Christ in you. God's priesthood of all believers. So folks, you are a priesthood of believers. You are empowered by God to minister and represent him to this fallen world. My prayer for you here in Belleville, let this be a place that feels and sees the light of Christ flowing through you. Not just in this church Sabbath morning for a couple of hours, but as soon as you go out those doors and, and represent him for the rest of the week. May the Holy Spirit convict us all of the vast and high calling he has given to each one of us, the priesthood of all believers. God bless you. Amen.